Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. This is the Entree Architect Podcast, episode 84. Welcome back to the Entree Architect Podcast. My name is Mark Arlapage, and this is the podcast dedicated to a successful life as a small firm architect. Whether you have plans to someday start your own firm, whether you're in the process of launching a startup, or you might be an experienced small firm architect just trying to make a difference, this podcast is for you. My goal is to inspire you to build a better business so that you may pursue your purpose with passion and live the life of your dreams. Many of us have this dream of starting our own architecture firm. And others, like me, we've already taken that plunge and we've launched our firms. But the first question that we all have after we make that decision is how do we find work? How do we get noticed by the clients that we want to work with? Well, this week's guest on the Entree Architect podcast has some answers for us. He's a residential architect based on the eastern coast of the United States, way up north in Maine, on an island called Mount Desert. And he has developed and tested some very interesting ways to get noticed and to fill his board with high-end projects that he wants to design. This week on the Entree Architect podcast, we are speaking with architect Eric Reinhold of 30 by 40 Design Workshop and the author of the new book, Architect and Entrepreneur, A Field Guide to Building, Branding, and Marketing Your Startup Design Business. This is the first episode in our new Field Guide series where Eric and I will dive deep and share routines, rituals, tips, and tricks 
for hacking your design practice and becoming a successful entrepreneur architect. This episode of the Entree Architect podcast is sponsored by the Entree Architect Report. That's my free weekly newsletter. Subscribe at entrearchitect.com slash newsletter. Eric Reinhold, welcome to the Entrepreneur Architect Podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, I know this is going to be a good one. You and I have uh, talked in the past. We talked a little bit before we started our recording here, and, and uh, we are both two passionate guys about making the world a better place through architecture. So uh, I think this is going to be a, a, a knock it out of the park episode here. So um, we've, uh, y- let me introduce you a little bit first to the people who don't know who you are. You're the arch- you're an architect. Uh, you're the founder of 40, uh, 30 by 40 design workshop. Uh, that's in located, that's located up in Maine, uh, at, uh, Mount desert. And, uh, you are the author of two books. Um, one is called the unofficial guide to house.com, which is an excellent book. It's basically all you need to know about house.com. Um, and, and, uh, and how to get noticed on that platform and your new book, uh, architect, is it Ar- architect and entrepreneur or arch- that's correct? Yes. Yeah, that's so correct. Ar- architect and entrepreneur. Um, it's a field guide for, uh, building branding and marketing your startup design business. Uh, and links to both of those books are on your website and your website is a beautiful site. It's, it's 30 by 40.com spelled out 30 by 40. Uh, dot com. Uh, it's a, the site itself is a great model for any small firm to look at what you're doing. That alone is worth this episode. If you go to 30 by 40.com and see what Eric is doing there, uh, he has a great portfolio of beautiful architecture. Uh, he has a great blog that's very video focused. He has videos that he's developed beautifully produced videos about architecture and, and the specifics about design and architecture. And, and the blog is sort of focused on that. Uh, and he's, he even has a lead capture tool on the site that while you're looking at it and seeing it, and he has a, 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 a checklist that you can download. And, and so he's getting people who come to his site who are interested in what he's doing. He's getting their, their information and giving them some valuable information in the process, which allows him to sort of talk to those people later on and, and continue the relationship. So a great model, Eric, the what you've done at the, at the, at the website is, is really great. And, and, uh, you know, through our conversations over the past year or so, maybe even more than that now, um, I, I think you're an all around great guy trying to make a, a, a difference in the world through architecture and by sharing the knowledge, you know, that you've gathered through what you do and sharing yeah. it with other architects, which is, which is very near and dear to my heart. So I thank you for doing that. Oh yeah. You're quite welcome. Thanks for that. Thank you for saying that. And th- that certainly is the goal. Good. And I, and I think this, uh, this podcast episode will, will add to that because I think that, uh, we're going to, we're going to drop some bombs here, um, in a good way. <laughs> so let, before we do that, like, let's do what I do every time. Let's start with your origin story. Let's talk a little bit about you before we get into the nitty gritty here. Talk about when you discovered architecture and, and sort of talk about what inspired you to become an architect and your journey to where you are today. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I think my relationship with architecture maybe is somewhat atypical. Um, 
you know, as a child, I was always enamored with model building and scale drawings. And so, you know, in grade school, I would go to the local bookstore and I would buy these sort of floor plan books. Um, and this was the 70s. So it was all these sort of solar homes and pretty gnarly floor plans. I would just take them and redesign them. And so I was really in love with technical drawing, model making, um, and architecture seemed like a natural fit. Um, but honestly, as a 17-year-old, you know, I think I was pretty unprepared to make any kind of career decision. Um, so being an architect was a romanticized interest of mine uh, when I applied to schools. But it really wasn't until I got into, um, into the coursework in architecture school that I really realized just how much depth there was to the field, um, the sort of theory and history and you know, design concepts. I mean, it was, it was a new world. And thankfully, I mean, it was something that I was just, I sort of fell in love with. Um, and so, you know, I went to Roger Williams University, um, also your alma mater. And uh, oh, Roger Williams. <laughs> I graduated in uh, 96. Um, and as an intern, I began working on some really large scale commercial, institutional, um, and educational projects sort of throughout the Northeast. Um, and it was great practical experience, but honestly, it was it was very removed from the sort of you know house plans, the drawing that I sort of fell in love with as a child. Um, and so it's sort of you know when I finished up my internship and um, sat for my licensing exams, I became a licensed architect. Sort of at the same time, my wife um, had received her PhD, and she was looking around for a job, and she ended up finding a job here. There's a world-renowned genetics institute um, on Mount Desert Island and uh, she got a job there and what's what was great about that for for me was there the island was sort of developed and settled by the Rockefellers they actually ended up donating a lot of the land for Acadia National Park um, and it, it became the perfect opportunity for me to practice kind of high-end residential work so there's a there's a big summer community here and you know there's lots of there's an influx of people buying second and third homes and so I sort of partnered up with um, a local design-focused firm, um, and I worked for them for about 12 years. And sort of as the recession took hold in 2008, 2009, uh, we had a slow couple of years. And we finally got to this point where um, rather than thin the ranks, the partners sort of asked everyone to take a 20% pay cut. And so that pay cut, uh, we were given the option to continue working a full five days, a full week, um, we just wouldn't be paid for the fifth day, or we could seek other work on our on the fifth day. Um, and for me, that was Fridays. And so, I sort of took that as an opportunity to start laying the foundations for Thirty by Forty, um, you know, which is my my business today. Um, and so, on my daily commute, you know, I would listen to podcasts. Of course, I would listen to you know the Entree Architect podcast, Pat Flynn's Smart Passive Income. Um, I listen to Tropical MBA, This Week in Startups, Internet Business Mastery, all these things. Um, and I, at that time, I read The 4-Hour Workweek um, by Tim Ferriss, which totally changed my life. Um, it really gave me a new perspective. And I started building this just love for business, and, and you and I share that um, to get, together. And I was kind of surprised. I mean, none of this was in my design schooling. Like, business was just totally missing. And so it was, you know, architects like to learn. And so I, I loved just the, the depth of, of learning that was, you know, there um, and so, you know, I started thinking a little bit differently about how I could build a design practice in today's um, economy and, you know, eventually transition to, you know, fully operating 30 by 40 on my own in June of 2013. So I'm just past the, the, the two-year mark. Um, and I think it, you know, kind of 
brings up this idea that, you know, working, you know, we buy into this myth that working for somebody else really offers job security. And, and that's what I thought for a long time, you know, being an employee, I get a paycheck every two weeks, but really, you know, the change in my personal work situation really just highlighted the fact that really, uh, if I want a job security, I had to create it for myself. Um, and honestly, I'm still kind of figuring out what that looks like. Um, and it's a little bit different each day, but I'm, you know, I'm trying lots of different things. Yeah, that's a great story. The, um, and Mount, Mount Desert Island, dessert, I, I mix those up, but it's Mount Desert. Dessert. Um, yeah. And so it's an island and it's, uh, it's, it's pretty remote. I mean, it, it is a relatively high end community, um, but it's, you know, it's a limited uh, market for what you do. Mm -hmm. uh, a question that I very often hear from the Entree Architect community uh, is they're in remote locations and they're trying to start a business and they're struggling to do that. They're struggling to find that first client or, or even once they're established a little bit and they do have a couple of clients, how do they find the work that they really want to do? Because maybe there's work, but it's not really the work that they want to do. Right. Um, you've built a pretty successful firm uh, on Mount uh, Desert Island. And uh, so how did you do that? How did you go from zero to where you are now in two yeah. years? Well, that uh, it's a lot of hard won um, lessons. Honestly, um, it's a great question. I think um, you know, number one, I worked for a firm um, who did work that was closely aligned with the kind of work that I wanted to do. So when I first moved here, you know, there was lots of options. There's lots of residential architects around here, um, and I looked around and I found the one that was doing really good work, like award-winning work. And so I was able to, over the 12 years that I worked there, I was able to work on really great projects. Um, and, <clears throat> excuse me, so I built up a portfolio of work. Um, so that's number one. Um, if you don't have any experience uh, coming out into a remote location and asking people to hire you, they're, they're going to kind of, they're going to really question what your abilities are, you know, what kind of work can you do? Um, and that will sort of set the tone for your business, what, what you'll be able to sort of come up with um, and, and the kind of work that you do. Um, and so that was sort of step one. The, the second thing um, that I'll say is my current practice right now, I have a few projects locally, but actually a lot of my work is sort of remote. So I practice all around the country um, doing work in South Carolina, in North Carolina, in Seattle, um, looking at something in Park City, um, something in Austin. So the internet has sort of democratized the practice of architecture in a way that, you know, when I first started practicing in 1996, that there was no way, this wasn't even an option. Um, and the way I did that, and the way I get these sort of projects more remotely is I really focused on building a brand that looked like the work that I wanted to do. And so that started with the foundational, you know, building projects with this other firm, getting, you know, my name out there that way. So I have this portfolio that I can rely on, and then I start promoting that. It really, I'm able to craft this sort of brand message. It's a singular brand message. Like this is the kind of work that I do. It, it looks, it has a certain look to it, and I really built my brand around that. And then I'm able to take it to a place like House, which is a giant source of traffic, especially for architects, interior designers. Um, there's lots of eyeballs on House, and you know people are ready to hire architects there. Um, so I'm able to take my brand on house and 
people are willing to you know hire me based on the reviews that I have on my house profile, based on the portfolio of work that's there. And you know the way I've built up my sort of presence, my brand presence on house. It's no different. Um, you know, you, I'm experimenting with things on Amazon and other sort of traffic channels. You know, if you find a place where, you know, there's lots of traffic, there's lots of clients waiting, um, and you put a singular brand message out there, you'll find out pretty quickly who's willing to buy and what they're willing to pay for that. And that's kind of how I've built that. You know, even locally, um, it's hard when you're working with million dollar uh, plus budgets. You know, people don't want to take a lot of times don't want to take a risk on a new a new practitioner. Um, and so I found that to be at times a stumbling block. And so being able to spread my business presence across the sort of world globally uh, has just given me that many more options. And then once you start getting these projects, it it kind of builds yeah, on itself. It snowballs. Yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's really important. I want to make sure that, that the people who are listening here heard what you said. The, the first step you did was to align yourself with another firm and get a job with a firm that's doing the type of work that you want to build your brand around. So you're, you're, you're working within that environment, working with that type of client, designing those type of projects, uh, building a portfolio that then you can potentially leverage as you move on, uh, acknowledging that that work is work done in a separate firm, but it was designed by you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that was the first step. So you, you first, you, to, so if you started in a giant engineering firm and then wanted to do a high-end residential, that's going to be a hard transition to sell to somebody uh, without having that experience. Then the second thing you did was to build a brand, which is very mm-hmm. important. And then you leveraged that brand on places where there was traffic. That's correct. So, yeah. so when you're out in the middle of nowhere, you need to find a firm that you're working that that is aligned with what you want to do. Then build the brand that represents what you want to do, uh, and we'll talk about that uh, mm-hmm. in in a few minutes of how to do that. And then put that brand out there. Find places where there is traffic, where there are people who are looking to spend money on architects or architectural services or architectural products. And get your name out there through those those rivers of information that are already out there. That that traffic that's already out there, uh, looking for what you're trying to sell. And that's how Eric has has gotten to where he is in two years. That's right. And there's little seeds that you plant all along the way. I mean, it, none of these sort of sprout up overnight. It it all happens as this process of taking sort of concentrated, you know, focused action over time. Um, so if you consistently work at it, those things sort of bear fruit. So how did you build the brand? How did, first of all, where did the name, what was the name inspired by? And then, and then talk about how you, and what's, what's the difference between giving a firm a name and putting up a logo and building a brand? Sure. Yeah. I I think, um, you know, very often the first place people start when they're sort of envisioning, you know, starting a business is with the logo and what, what it looks like. And I, I think that's great. It's an important exercise, but really, I started with a, uh, maybe a, a step back from that, which was coming up with the foundational concept, much like you would a design concept. Um, and so, my idea was to um, try and try and infuse the name of my company with a sort of narrative story. So, the work that I do is sort of narrative driven. Um, it has an architectural concept behind it. There's a story behind the buildings that I do, and 
Um, a lot of my work is inspired by agrarian, you know, agricultural structures, really simple, structure, humble structures, basic materials. Um, and so I wanted to draw that sort of inspiration into the name of the firm. And so 30 by 40 is the proportions of a New England sort of threshing barn, an old English barn. Um, and, you know, that idea that I would call it 30 by 40 sort of in, inspires um, someone questioning it. You know, so someone comes to meet me and it's usually it's the first thing people will ask. Um, and so there's a story behind that. And I get to talk about, you know, why the dimensions are, you know, were what they were. And so there's this architectural history to it. Um, and then, you know, I also wanted it to be representative of the process that I use. And so design workshop was really this idea that a workshop is the place where you go and tinker with things and um, you create things that are, you know, you kind of hack things together. Um, you see what works, you see what looks good. And so those two things, you know, married to come up with a really long name. <laughs> and I talk about this in the book a little bit in some of my misgivings with 30 by 40 because, um, you know, there are some problems when, you, when you're naming things. You need to be thinking smartly about how it, how it works online, what your domain looks like, what kind of search traffic you're going to be capturing. So I get a lot of search traffic for 30 by 40 workshops, uh, <laughs> which isn't a lot of what I do. But um you get, you get the idea. I think there's a story behind um, this this brand name, um, and then this, the logo. Honestly, it's <laughs> it's sort of the last thing. If you look at my logo, there's nothing. Yeah, it's a text it's, logo. It's very it's, simple. Yeah, it's simple. Um, but it's also the last thing that I've worked on. It wasn't the first thing that I worked on, um, because getting the logo up and getting someone to design that, um, you know, that can happen at any point. Getting the story behind it and starting to build the brand—that's the important. That's the hard, That's where the hard work is. And so I think people start with the logo because sometimes that feels like the easiest thing to do. We're designers; we can solve yeah. those problems really easily. Right. But. Right. And and uh, and I think that's the fun stuff. You know. By, sure. by focusing on the fun stuff, you kind of avoid the hard work. And really, you need to do the hard work first, and then the, you can fill in the fun stuff later. Uh, and the brand, yeah, and the brand can pivot over time. I mean, it, that was a story, and I've had different, ta you know, I tell people to kind of, in the book, to sort of brainstorm taglines, you know. And, you know, I had one simple modern home design, and then I changed it to something else. And I think that's where I'm back to now on my, on my webpage. Yeah, it says um, simple modern residential architecture. Okay, so yeah, I'm just trying to capture some SEO yeah. traffic with some of that. But, but I think um, that really does tell the story about what you do. It's very clear. And I, I think that also represents, you know, the logo. You say the logo is very simple and, and not very developed, but it actually is very representative of what you do. Uh, it is simple and beautiful. It, mm. It's, you know, the proportions are, are very well done. The color choices in the, in the neutrals of black and gray, I think, are, are pretty modern and, and you know, representative of the type of work you do. I think it, uh, it's a good, I think it's a good logo for what you do. Oh, thanks. It's, I guess I lucked out. <laughs> I think it's interesting though, that you brought up the, the, um, the, the negatives of the name, uh, the, the, you know, for lack of a better word, the failure of the name, because sure. I think that there's a, there's a tremendous benefit to the name, but talk about a little bit about how you did struggle with that and, and what others should be thinking about when they're naming their firm. Um, you know, in terms of how I struggled with it, I, I've, I've learned to sort of take these things and, um, learn, learn from them, but I'm not certainly at this point, I'm not, I'm not ready to change the name of the business. There may come a point, uh, where I'm ready to do that. But, you know, my approach is to sort of 
take that lesson and use it to and apply it to the other aspects of my business. So like, you know, now I know a lot more about SEO and, you know, search engine optimization, how traffic, you know, finds my website. So uh, having been through that process, I've and looked at the analytics, you know, on the back end of my website, I understand where things, you know, where things sort of went off the rails with the name. And so I'm able to take that and pivot it, you know, into how I create videos, how I tag videos, how I write blog posts, the content on my home page. Um, so all of those things, everything with my business is kind of an experiment. And then, um, you know, I learn from it. And then, I pivot and I try it again. You know, I see how that experiment works. And so, um, you know, I guess I don't have a, a good answer for how no, I, I dealt. No, I think that it was a very good answer. I mean, because what, what you, the fact that, because I have the same problem with 5Cat. Mm -hmm. 5Cat has nothing to do with architecture, but has a lot sure. to do with our story and who we are and where we've come from. Uh, and it, and it, 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 it provokes that, that conversation. that says, sure. why did you name it that? And then here's why. Um, and so I think I think there's a there's a there's a benefit to having a name that has a story behind it, um, but I think that it's just something to think about that when when you are building a brand that is going to be very web focused in order to build that if you're if you're out in remote areas or even if you're not in remote areas the first thing people do even if you're in the heart of New York City the first thing they do is they search Google for right. architects. Uh, and you need to be there. You need to be in that traffic. You need to be on Google when they're searching for the architects in your area. It needs to be. You need to be on that first page. And so, whatever you need to do, and we are even with the the name Five Cat, we're we're in the top two for Westchester County architects uh, yeah. for for the past decade. We've been there, wow. um, and we've you know we've overcome the fact that the name is Five Cat. And That's so, right. so it's just I just I don't want to spend too much time on that, but I mm -hmm. just wanted to 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 point that out. Um, <laughs> So I want to get a little bit more back into the book because I think the book is great. It's sort of a technical handbook and sort of a, a narrative, a story that you're telling about how you did what you did. Mm -hmm. um, talk a little bit about the, the, of how you built the business and how you, how you make it successful today. You've sort of, we've talked about it a little bit with the routines and the things that you do. So let's share a little bit about that. Okay. Um, you know, I think there's kind of the reason why I wrote the book was because, um, you know, I felt like the resources, you know, at the time that I was building this business were kind of lacking. I really, you know, felt like there was nothing contemporary. There was nobody sitting down and looking at this objectively, like what the internet meant to people practicing architecture. And especially as we talked, you know, I'm a remote firm and, um, and, and so it's, it's harder to find clients and I need to rely on the internet. And so, you know, writing the book, um, really it, it became, it, it kind of arose out of this standard methodology that, um, you know, I've adopted since, since opening my business where I try to sort of wring out value of everything that I create. So when I research something, whether it's business or software training or design or a client problem, I take all that research and I kind of repackage it and I use it to kind of cross promote my business through all these different platforms. And so when I was just getting started building my business, you know, I, I sort of bought into this just in time learning concept where like I needed to know something about how to structure my business. I, I was going to go and research it. I was going to research it at that moment. And then I basically sort of wrote it down. Um, and so the content 
for the book kind of naturally evolved um, and coalesced with, as I was building my business. So I had a question, you know, my early questions building a business were all sort of mindset focused. Like, um, is this the right thing to do? Like, <laughs> am I crazy for wanting to do this? And like, what kind of questions do I need to ask? Like, how much money do I need to save? Uh, do I need to even save any money? Um, and so the chapters of the book kind of um, sort of grew with my business. Um, they answered the questions that I had at the time, and you know I started writing writing each one along the way. And you know part of the process of writing the book also helped me to evaluate things in my business that needed improving. You know like my business model, how I was structuring my business, my SOPs, my contract. It kind of gave me a framework for doing all that research. Um, and it, and making those changes, and and I thought sharing it in book form would help others sort of you know answer you know facing similar questions to help, to help answer those questions. And along the way, the writing became you know a habit which reinforced and created this sort of ethos of experimentation, which I've taken and applied to all the different aspects of my business. Um, you know, and and uh, does that answer your question? It does. The the um, it's literally a field guide. I mean, it, is, it was yeah. it was literally your field notes as you were developing your business rather than developing an arc, you know, an architecture project, you were developing and figuring out how this business was going to be built and structured. Mm -hmm. And along the way, you were taking notes in order to learn what you needed to learn. Uh, and those notes then evolved into an outline and from an outline, it became a book. Um, and so let's go back to to the uh, you're, you're, we developed the brand, then we we're finding these sources of traffic, right? Yep. And so, mm -hmm. and so that's where that's, that was the, really the magic, right? I mean, to, to go beyond uh, dessert Island to the world, um, you needed to develop this brand and get into these flows of traffic. So, yep. and, and the book was one source of doing that. What were some of the other things you did? to get noticed beyond the island. It's so my the house book that you mentioned um in the opening um was really that was probably one of the primary uh vehicles that I uh, you know I used house pretty extensively and it was another that's another example of me sort of experimenting um with this sort of sort of stream of traffic and figuring out what worked for me. And along the way, I just kept a bunch of notes. And so then the book evolved and I wanted to share it with others and say, like, this is how I made it work. Um, and so, so how's contacting me because I was blogging, you know, like I was trying all these different things. I really fell in love with building my website and sort of internet marketing, all these ideas swirling around, like how you market a business to globally. Um, and so I was trying all these different things. I was trying blogging. I was trying making videos. Um, and so through my writing, an editor at House contacted me and said, oh, you want to try and write for us? And I said, sure. Yeah, why not? And um, so I, I wrote a few articles and, and I realized pretty quickly that the exposure that those articles had was just massive. Um, you know, a typical article that's featured on their homepage gets between 70 and 100,000 views um, very quickly. And, and, and it sits there for, you know, in perpetuity. Um, it's published in German. It's published in Japanese. It's published in Australia. It's, it's all over the world, um, whatever house expands to. And so it's, it's, again, this idea about seeds. So I started planting these seeds, and I ended up writing for them as a contributor. 
um, which is still something that I do regularly. Um, so once a week, I'd come up with a piece on architecture, um, and I really used that to highlight the kind of work that I wanted to do. And so I was finding, initially, I was publishing these stories, and people were like, well, why don't you publish the same story, but do it with a traditional focus? And, you know, that just told me that I was doing the right thing because I realized like, okay, this is pointed at a very specific group of people. And what started happening was people would start getting in touch with me. I would publish an article and I'd get a few phone calls and people say, oh, I, I read your article. I'm really interested in the work that you're doing um, because all of the images that I used in the article were correlated with the kind of work that I do. And so, um, I used house pretty effectively and, and it continues to really pay off for me very, very handily to market my firm. Um, and, and those, you know, that gave me the sort of elbow room to be selective about clients that I, that I choose to work with. I mean, I, I can, you know, accept projects locally that maybe aren't a perfect fit, but if I'm able to spread this sort of brand message out sort of, you know, to the far reaches of the U.S. and the, and the world and have someone resonate with that and do the work that I'm interested in doing and they're willing to pay my rates, then like that seems like a really, really perfect model. Yeah. The, when you started on House, when you started writing on House, did you first develop your profile and then start pitching to House or did you realize House was a great source of traffic and, and generation back to your website. And so you, you, you know, offered to write there. Yeah. I wish I could say I was, I, I knew more about it, but at the time, I, like I said, I was kind of trying everything, you yeah. know, um, the blogging on your own website. And I mean, you, you know, this from having built your own audience, it takes a while. It's a grind. Um, yeah. it takes a while for anyone to notice anything that you're doing. So, you know, my thinking was, well, I know there's a lot of people on house. I didn't actually know how many people were there, but, um, I might as well go there. You know, that's a captive audience. They're going to promote my, they're going to edit my pieces. They're going to promote my pieces. They send it to their email list, which I don't know is in how many millions now. Um, you know, there's something like 16 million monthly unique visitors to their website. I mean, that's just huge. Um, and so to get in front of those people seemed like a no brainer. I had a pretty basic profile built. Um, I had a few reviews. Um, and as I started to build up, you know, as I started to spend more time there, I realized, Oh, okay, this is how I rank on house. You know, there's all these factors for ranking and um, my writing and people adding, you know, my photos to their idea books because that was a, a sort of another hack. I would write these idea books, but I would also include images of my own work in there. So I would correlate my images with other work that I liked and, you know, thought was appropriate. Of course, not nothing local, but um, people far away. Um, and so I, I started to realize, okay, this is how, how this works. And having figured that ecosystem out and being able to rank there, then started sending more traffic to me. And again, it, it's kind of this flywheel that builds up. You build all this momentum. I've put a lot of sort of labor into writing for them and crafting good, what I think is good, appropriate brand focused content. And, and it's really paying back because people are just there all the time. In a similar thing with YouTube, the, the reason I don't, um, write blog posts on, on my own website anymore is I sort of take the content that I work on for house and repurpose it into YouTube videos. So I record these videos and YouTube is, you know, the second largest search engine. So it's another giant stream of traffic. And so that sends people to, uh, where I, you know, I have this, I think I have maybe 800 subscribers. It's not a huge amount, but what it allows me to do is test all these things. So I can run tests on YouTube 
um, by uploading videos, um, products that I want to build, sort of, you know, I run experiments that way and I can see who gets the most, you know, which video gets the most views. And so that helps me move my brand in different directions or makes, helps me to make more choices. So the more traffic you have, you expose yourself to, the, you know, the better your sort of testing model and pivoting model becomes. It's interesting that you have this broad network that you have, you've built the brand on your website, which is the first step. You really need to have the website ready because everything's going to lead back to your website. And right. The web, website needs to, to be very specific to your brand and who you're, who you're representing or who you're, who you're trying to uh, appeal to. Um, then you have all of these sort of these arms out. You have house and you have uh, YouTube and you're on Twitter and, and uh, Facebook and all of these different places. And you, you can, the thing that was interesting is that, cause I, I talked to a lot of architects about being in all those places and they say, well, I don't have the time. But what you said is that you repurpose that yeah. you, you develop this article for house, or you could even do it the other way, develop for, for your blog and then repurpose whatever you're doing on your blog to other places. But you, you specifically write for house, put your own photos in that article then that article links back to your house profile, which is very important that that also has to be developed and, and, and uh, optimized to a specific way for that to be recognized, um, which you talk all about in that book in the unofficial guide to house.com. So anybody mm -hmm. wants to know how to do that, you can get that book and figure that out. Um, Eric also was available if you want to tweet him, I'm sure he's happy to, sure. to help you to help. get there too. But, but, but you take but all you take of the information that you've developed, developed over the time, over this time for this one article for house and then repurpose it on your blog as a, as a, as a video on your site. And then the video is, is sitting on YouTube. So it's, it's also on YouTube. Um, and I'm sure that you also put it on Facebook and, and so it's all the same information. So you're not writing four or five different pieces of content. You're writing one piece of content and then pulling it apart and repurposing it for all these different places. So you're taking maybe 10 hours worth of work and focusing it down to maybe one or two hours worth of work. Is that that's correct? Right. And you, that's correct. And, and you get to see pretty quickly which things like on YouTube, certain, obviously long videos don't work well. So if I've written a long piece, it's not going to, it doesn't get very many views. Um, and so you start to get to, you start understanding each one of these channels is important. Um, but you, you know, thank you for sort of summarizing that idea of this sort of hub and spoke, right. you know, idea where the, at the center of this hub is your website. So everything that I create out in the world sort of refers back to that. Um, and, and increasingly it's, you know, I'm taking that at hub and saying, okay, well maybe that hub is Amazon or maybe that hub is somewhere else. Um, and kind of running experiments with that. So, um, you know, people have a harder time. You, I think once you understand these channels, like something like Amazon, people have their credit cards stored with Amazon. So people are ready to buy on Amazon. People aren't ready to buy on my website. So if I want to sell right. something, um, you know, I have to have that, that sort of understanding. People are ready to hire architects on house. And so have your profile ready, have your portfolio looking good, have some reviews there. Um, and people will call you directly from, from house. Um, but you know, something like my website selling plan sets, it's been a harder thing to do. Um, because you know, Oh, am I going to give this guy my credit card? What am I going to get? You know, whereas when it's on Amazon, it's totally legit. Everyone just implicitly trusts that this is a good thing. Plus they can see the reviews. And so I, I would say, um, 
yes, there's a repurposing of content, but there is also some sort of nuance to, you know, understanding the channel um, that you're using. Um, that's all. Yeah. And so it's taking the books that you've written and which are, is a strategy to get your name out there and your brand out there uh, mm -hmm. and and putting them on Amazon. So you're out in that that traffic. So now you're using Amazon as a traffic traffic generator back to your website. Right. How many architects are doing that? That's a great a great tip right there. Figure <laughs> out some sort of tool. You can even put together a booklet. You, I mean, it doesn't have to be. You can do an ebook that's fifty pages long. That's you want to do something of quality because it's representing your brand. So remember that you can't just put junk up there in order to, to get back to your. It has to be something that represents you and what you do. So it takes some work and some effort and some design, but but then get that onto Amazon and then now you're you're in that traffic flow that's that's yeah. generating things back. But even on top of that, not only is it a, a traffic generator back to your site uh, and and a referral service essentially, it's also a passive income process that that every time you sell a book you're you're getting a check in the mail. That you know that's you, right. you check your your bank account or your PayPal account or however it's you're you're getting paid. Um, and while you're working, you're getting, you know, notices that somebody's paying you, which that's is, right. you know, I, I experienced that as well. And that's a, that I can tell you every architect on the planet should be coming up with some sort of passive income, uh, product or service that you can, uh, provide to your audience, uh, and get paid. Once you put it out there, it's just a pat, literally a passive income. It's a, that's a wonderful feeling getting that email, yeah. like, or checking your stats, like how many downloads you had of your book today. Um, and just to sort of expand on that a little yeah. bit, I think for the small firm architect that is sitting in a really remote location, uh, you know, passive income makes a huge difference. It's made a difference in my practice. Um, so having, you know, an extra couple of thousand dollars a month in passive income means that I can be more selective in the kinds of projects that I take on. It means, you know, maybe I don't have to take that, that small renovation project that's not quite the right fit. Um, you know, I have, I can wait a little bit longer. My runway is a little bit bigger. Um, you know, I can, I can be a little more selective. I can say no more than I say yes, which I think is is a hard thing to kind of get used to as a small firm architect. But that really, this again feeds back into brand building. You know, I want to accept projects that look like the kind of you know project that I want to work you know work on, the kinds of clients I want to work with, um, and they don't you know living in a in a remote location, they don't come along every day, and so you have to have some sort of padding in there to make it, you know, to sort of smooth out the bumps. And passive income is a great way to do that. It's not easy to get the flywheel going, but once you do, I mean, publishing a book on Amazon, it's so dead simple. I think, you know, the barrier to entry is so is so low. And, you know, I would even skip calling it an ebook. I think there's some sort of mm -hmm. um yeah. There's some sort of negative connotation to that. Um, Amazon owns CreateSpace, which you know prints all of my books on demand. So I'm not holding on to a locker full of a thousand books. Uh, whenever someone orders it, they print it and send it. You know, Amazon Prime. They'll print it overnight and send it overnight. So um, it's it's a really wonderful service that you can leverage like today if you wanted to. Yeah, you when you said a couple thousand dollars a month, I heard everybody's ears went perk up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because that's significant money. That's not, you know, it's not 50 bucks. That's, it is. that's, you know, that's a significant revenue, uh, coming in passively. 
that once it's out there and once it's developed and it's a lot of work, I can tell you it's a lot of work and a lot of time to, to develop the products that are out there. But once they're out there, they generate income forever uh, Mm -hmm. and continuously. Could could you just, I, I, I think that that's a subject all in itself. So if you're interested, I'd love to have you come back and talk specifically about passive income for architects, because I think that is a subject that everybody sure. wants to hear. But, and, and I think it's a bigger subject than we have time for now. But yeah, could, absolutely. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now um, to generate that kind of money? Well, I sell plan sets on my site. And again, that's a an thing that I'm always experimenting with. Um, is the price point $2,500 for a plan set? Is it 250. Um, and so I'm running experience experiments there. I'm price pulsing those things. So I sell more at the lower price point. Um, you know, I have to sell more at the lower price point to, to, uh, you know, recoup the same amount of money that I would selling them at a higher price point, but the higher price point means a lot more handholding. So, um, you know, I'm sort of playing with that. Obviously, uh, my income from Amazon and, you know, publishing things that way is a, a a good part of the passive income uh, component, and it's one of those things that I've realized. You know, there's a huge buying public out there, um, and so that's been a good lesson in experimentation for me. Um, and then I make it through affiliate uh, commissions that products that I um, represent or promote uh, through my own social media channels, um, through the book, um, through my website, and um, advertising. So advertising on YouTube is becoming a good source of income for me too. So it's kind of this, um, like everything else, I've cast all these seeds out and I'm watching to see which ones are growing and I'm ready to put more sort of office resources into the ones that are. And, you know, personally writing for me has been really rewarding and I see a lot of opportunity for that in the marketplace. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of stuff that's missing, um, so I think, you know, I would encourage people to poke around um, and, and look at what they do, you know, as, from a business standpoint and, and see where their skills, um, where there are holes in the marketplace and, and see how their skills set might sort of align with those, those gaps and start making things. I mean, that's, you have to make things and test, yeah. test them out. Yeah. And they have to, and they have to be of quality and, and it is a lot of work. True. Um, but uh, the rewards are are beautiful, and, you know that uh, the the feeling you get when you create something and you put it out there and, and people start buying it. There's an acknowledgement that you've done something of value every time somebody purchases purchases something like that. So uh, important. It is a great feeling, and and it is it is adding uh, value to this to our society, and it's and it's putting. Um, the, our value as architects out into the world as well. Another way of getting our value uh, communicated to society. One thing I wanted to mention is that our friends over at ArcaSpeak this week also just their current podcast, episode 66, is uh, a, a, they have the um, Greg Lavadera of Lamy Design, who is also a house plan designer and an architect uh, uh, near Philadelphia. They have a great conversation on the current episode called house plans on episode 66 at the arc speak podcast. I just wanted to mention that. Uh, it's they, a good one. They, yeah, yeah they re- it was a really good one. And they talk about passive income through house plans. And so, uh, I'll, we'll definitely have, uh, a, a second episode here with you, Eric, to talk specifically 
about passive income for architects. And I think that'll be a great subject. Um, Do you want to share some of the tools that you use before we wrap things up uh, to sort of do what you do? Sure, yeah. I think there's, um, you know, there's only kind of two categories of tools that that I think about when I think about, um, you know, my own practice. Um, And I have sort of a certain set of routines and rituals which I use, which I think have contributed a lot to my success. I don't know that we have time to go into that today, but I think the two categories of tools- We can have a a third episode, no problem. (laughs) I'm happy to let anyone, uh, you know, uh, communicate with anyone who's interested in that. Um, I I actually have started writing a book on on specific rituals tools, so that's that's another sort of side project. But the two categories are really sort of mindset um, category, uh, mindset tools and sort of practical tools. And in the mindset toolbox, these are really important, actually, and they sound oftentimes kind of really kind of fluffy, um, I guess, but they're so important. Um, and, and I think, you know, the mindset um, piece was perhaps the most difficult for me to get over in, in the beginning. Um, you know, I always had this sort of fear of failure, and that's the thing that I, I talk about in the book. Um, really having to overcome um, when I started my business. Uh, I had this sort of idea of opening a business cooking in my in my head for a long, long time before I actually did anything about it. And, um, you know, I think a lot of that was because of the fear of failure. And so I think it helps to imagine the sort of worst possible outcome um, as a way of sort of feeling the fear, um, but then controlling how you react to it. And, you know, the, the worst possible outcome you know, of, of starting this business and getting rolling on this entrepreneurial journey, um, the one that I came to was, you know, that I would just have to get another job. Um, so really, the opportunity cost for not doing this was much, much higher. You know, um, I I accepted that fear and I sort of moved forward. And so I think that fear of failure sort of makes itself known um, all the time as as a, a sole practitioner and yeah. the, the voice of doubt sort no of doubt. Is, it is, it is a constant conversation I'm having in my head yep. every day on everything <laughs> I do. But I think, you know, you, you really don't have to accept anyone else's definition of who you are or how you'll practice. And a lot of times those, you know, those fears of failure are you looking at it through someone else's lens and, um, you know, thinking that they'll think of you as a failure. Um, how you support your family really is up to you. Yeah, and, I, and I think it all starts with this mindset idea, like defining what success means for you. And for me, it means sort of three things. It means the freedom to do what I want, um, that there's purpose, that there's something driving me every day. And the third thing is relationships that, um, you know, I have friends to share my life with. And those things sort of go beyond, they go beyond business. And, you know, your business is a part of this. Um, but if without those three things, no matter how financially successful my business is, I don't, I wouldn't consider myself a success. So I think, you know, those are a couple of sort of, you know, mindset tools that, that I am constantly reminding myself of. And I think, if you put them at the top of your your sort of to do list for the week, you can um, you can really focus your efforts on the things that are important, the things that'll drive your business forward. Um, you know, and I ha- I obviously have a lot more tools like that. Some of the practical tools, um, you know, I think doing the math is really important, and I have to do the math all the time uh, in my business, just like you do, Mark. 
Um, but when I, what I mean by that is, you know, figuring out what the target revenue is and really tracking that. And, um, I, I like this kind of ramen profitable me- metaphor, you know, in, in college you, you ate a lot of ramen, right? Uh, yeah. it was pretty awful stuff. Um, but this isn't a sushi and sake diet that we're living on. This is, you know, how can you trim your monthly expenses down to a minimum that you need to live? That's the thing that sort of builds all this freedom for you to make choices about where your brand is headed, the kind of work you want to do. So go with a ramen profitable budget <laughs> and you will find your way to success, I think, a lot faster. Um, obviously, there's developing SOPs, standard operating procedures, you know, how you communicate with people. All of these things feed into what your brand looks like to other people. There's building an email list. So, that, I yep. mean, there's, there's there's a lot. There's a lot, and and I yeah. think you know, I think this episode is a is a great introduction to Eric Reinhold <laughs> um, because there's probably four or five additional subjects that we can, you know, have a conversation. I agree on this yep. on this podcast with, and so let's do that. Let's share. Uh, some of that on uh, on future episodes, uh, we'll, we'll definitely do that. You and I will Great. discuss uh, which one's next, but I think we can do this as a series. Uh, I would love to do that. Um, yeah, that would be great. And, and get deeper into some of this stuff because uh, forty five minutes to talk about all of these things uh, is 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 not enough time. And I would love to use this sort of as an introduction to who you are and to what we can do. Uh, and maybe make this a podcast series and and get deeper into some of these subjects that we talked about today. Sure. Uh, if you're yeah. interested in doing that. I definitely am. And I and I think we both share that the idea that you know this isn't a zero sum game. There aren't winners and losers. Like I'm here to help people and it's why I wrote the book. It's why I'm here talking with you and so I'm I, and I love I love business geekery. So Happy to share share what I know with with you and your audience. Yeah, and I know my audience uh, is interested in what we're talking about because that's why they're here. So um, we'll definitely have you back. Your world on the internet is thirty by forty dot com, spelled out thirty by forty dot com. You are Eric Reinhold uh, at Twitter, so it's at Eric Reinhold. It's Eric with a C R E I N H O L D T. So it's Eric Reinhold uh, on Twitter. Uh, YouTube is YouTube slash user slash the number 30, the word 40, the number 40, uh, 30 by 40, number 30 by 40. I'll have all these links on the on the show notes. So you can just go to episode uh, 84. So entrearchitect.com slash episode 84, and we'll have all these links. But Facebook is facebook.com slash 30 by 40 design workshop. And house is uh, house.com slash pro slash uh, Eric Reinhold. That's a long one. That's yeah. a that's a lot of stuff to remember. So just go to episode eighty four and, and the links will be there. Um what's the best way if somebody wanted to reach out right now at the end of this episode and connect with you, uh, ask you some questions about what you're doing, what's the best way somebody can get in touch with you? Yeah, uh, they can send me an email, Eric at thirty by forty dot com. That way I'm insured to get it and respond in a timely, timely fashion. Um, and, and I hope people consider picking up a copy of the book. Um, if, if you found anything here uh, today that we talked about of interest, there is a, a link on the show notes for both books. Um, so if you want to go straight to Amazon, it's architect, basically architect plus entrepreneur, and you can search Eric Reinhold, but there'll be a link to both books on the show notes at episode 84. Eric, I want to thank you first of all, for your dedication to the profession uh, and for sharing the knowledge that you have gathered over the years uh, with 
anybody who will listen. And I thank you very much for coming on today and being so transparent with what you're doing and for, and for sharing with my community here at Entree Architect. Oh, you're quite welcome. Yeah, I'm glad, glad to do it. Thanks, Mark. And, uh, and stay tuned. We'll have uh, additional episodes coming forth. So uh, thanks, Eric. Thanks for being here. All right, thanks. If you'd like to leave a review for this show on iTunes, just go to entrearchitect.com slash iTunes. Or while you're in iTunes, just search for Entrepreneur Architect and you'll find us. But even more important to me is that you share this episode with a friend. We are growing here at Entree Architect. We're becoming an influential force in this profession. And that only happens with your help. So go to your email right now and send the link to everybody you know. EntreeArchitect.com slash episode 84. Send it to everybody you know. Share a tweet. Post us on Facebook. Get it out there. I appreciate your support so much for what I'm doing. And I thank you for spreading the word. Complete show notes for this episode and a direct link to download this episode may be found at entrearchitect.com slash episode 84. And don't forget the Entree Architect Report. That's my free weekly newsletter. When you subscribe to that, I'll send you a short, easy-to-read email every Friday morning direct to your inbox with links to the weekly blog article and each of these weekly podcast episodes so you won't miss one thing. I'll also share a weekly resource in that newsletter where I help you build a better business, be more productive, or live a happier life. And I share my thoughts for the week at a much more personal level than the blog or here on the podcast. And I share some of the behind the scenes of my life as a small firm entrepreneur architect. So if you're not already a subscriber to the Entree Architect Report, you can sign up at entrearchitect.com slash newsletter. And before we go, the quote of the week this is a quote from our guest today, Eric Reinholdt, right from his book, Architect and Entrepreneur. And that can be found, you can, you can buy that book right from his website at 30by40.com, or you can just search for it at, at Amazon. The quote of the week, even simple barriers can be cleverly disguised as an excuse, a red light for not progressing. Opening your design practice doesn't require all the lights to be green. It all starts with action. My name is Mark Arlapage and I am an entrepreneur architect. I appreciate you. I thank you. Please, please, please spread the word about what we're doing here and I'll see you next week. mentioned it to my family but in terms of telling people like oh yeah we're doing this i'm looking for projects you got anything yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me dreaming of launching your own architecture firm well, well buckle up for a wild ride with emerging the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm where do we begin we don't even know what type of business to formalize as is it an llc is it an llp like how are taxes i mean the list is astronomical <laughs> Season one featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey 
from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like, us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my One that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There's a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. <laughs> so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like, that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.